Today's scripture reading is James 3, 1 through 12. If you don't have a Bible, you can follow along in your bulletin or on the screen behind me. Hear the word of the Lord. Not many should become teachers, my brother, because you know that we will receive a stricter judgment. For we all stumble in many ways. If anyone does not stumble in what he says, he's mature, able also to control the whole body. Now, if we put bits into the mouths of horses so that they obey us, we direct their whole bodies. And consider ships, though very large and driven by fierce winds, they are guided by a very small rudder wherever the will of the pilot directs. So too, though the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how a small fire sets ablaze a large forest, and the tongue is a fire. The tongue, a world of unrighteousness, is placed among our members. It stains the whole body, sets the course of life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. Every kind of animal, bird, reptile, and fish is tamed and has been tamed by humankind, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we bless our Lord and Father, and with it we curse people who are made in God's likeness. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. Does a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers and sisters, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can a saltwater spring yield fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Gracious Father, we thank you for the gift of corporate worship, the gift of being able to pause weekly and regularly to hear biblical truths, to be reminded of your love, to be reminded of your your personhood, to be reminded of your, your divinity, your goodness, to be reminded of of the life that you have invited us to and that you give freely by grace, to be reminded of this mirror that you have given us, this hammer that breaks up stony ground, this double-edged sword that both pierces and heals, to be reminded of who you have called us to be in Christ Jesus. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for the gift of you as you are perfect and merciful and kind and good consistent and ever-changing. Pray, Father God, that you would allow the words of my mouth and a meditation of my heart to be acceptable to you. I pray that we would not just be hearers of the word, but doers as well. I pray that your gospel would go forth in a way that, that encourages that, that convicts, but ultimately that points us to our neediness in you. Speak, Lord, for your servants are listening. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, peace be with you. Uh, to those of you who are our guests here today, we just want to welcome you. My name is uh, Jamal Williams, and I am one of the pastors here. We are thrilled that you are, are here to worship with us today. I remember being a, a young boy, um, guessing I was in the first or second grade, and I, I remember coming back home from school sad because of uh, something that someone said. And my grandmother, uh, I remember her looking me in the face and teaching me a jingle that was going to like solve my sadness. And you probably learned this jingle too. Sticks and stones may break your bones, but words will never hurt you. And I remember kind of using this mantra and memorizing and going back to school. Whenever somebody would say something sad, I'd be like, sticks and stones may break my bones, but words would never hurt me. 
And then, you know, the Pee Wee Herman little thing, he's, I know you are. I know I am, but what are you? Or something like that. <laughs> like, and it was just funny because even at an early age, like almost immediately I realized that that wasn't true. Because when I stopped and I paused, I was wondering if the things that people had said and thought about me was true. And I allowed it to impact my heart and I was still sad. Here's the truth that I know that you know. Words, they do hurt. Words have a way of lingering. And if we allow them to, it has a way of shaping us and kind of setting the course of our, of our path. And James is writing the church here and he's acknowledging that. And he wants to encourage them to be mindful of the power of words and to allow through the gospel of Jesus Christ and the Holy Spirit, God to, to convict them and to encourage them and to, to change the ways they view their speech and their words. James wanted these Christians to grow so that they did not create unhealthy cultures at home, in their relationships, at church, in their workspaces, where their tongues could do great damage. In fact, Jesus teaches us that one of the ways in which you will know his disciples is by the love they have for one another. And one of the ways that we know that we love someone is how we use our words towards that person and how we speak about that person when they're not present. And there's three universal truths that James teach uh, in this passage that I want us to see this morning. And then I want to give us some invitations as a church and as Christians in ways that we can grow. And the first invitation is this, our tongue is difficult to tame. Our tongue is difficult to tame. Verses one through two, James encourages the church. He says, not many of you should be teachers, my brothers, knowing that we will receive stricter judgment for we all stumble in many ways. There's two things I want to point out here. One, James is talking to the church and he's kind of almost discouraging people from, from seeking to be uh, Bible teachers. And the reason he's doing that is because he, uh, in Jewish culture, people who taught were sometimes in, in an unhealthy way put on a pedestal or they received this great, great respect, sometimes almost too much uh, notoriety in communities. And he say, as a Christian church and as a community, it's important that we show double honor. It's important that we love those who teach, but it's also important for us to realize that teaching comes with a great responsibility. Like, teachers have a, a more weightiness to their words because they're shaping people and, and people have a way to kind of listen to what a teacher say and allow it to impact their hearts in a, in a more specific and special way. And James is saying, yo, remember, if you are a teacher and if you're going to be a teacher in the church, that your, your words are being weighed and it's going to one day in the eschaton, one day in the end, that you are going to be judged before God in a stricter sense because of your words. But not only that, that even now within the body of Christ, that the microphone is always on and that people are really listening to every word that comes out of your mouth. And so this church, they kind of had a problem because when they were gathering together, people, when we see this in James chapter one, they were talking over each other and not listening. And a lot of that was really done by pride and people selfishly wanting to, to uh, be ambitious and to be seen as a certain way. And James is encouraging the church, now be humble and to remember this responsibility. But he's also bringing up a great point here. And it's that we all, as Christians, if you're not a Christian here, I want to tell you, you probably figured this out by watching other Christians, like we stumble in many ways. None of us are perfect. This stumble in many ways isn't just talking about giving an excuse for like, 
uh, habitual, intentional, flagrant sin. Now, this is just day-to-day stuff that we mess up on. And one of the things that he, he's saying here is that we all stumble in many ways. And one of the ways that we all stumble from being pastors or teachers to whoever in the body of Christ is with our tongue. Sometimes we do things and say things that, that isn't the wisest. And so James is addressing that culture. He actually includes himself in it by saying we stumble in many ways. And his point is this, James desires for this church to have a faith that works they're, they're saying, hey, if you believe that Jesus Christ is your Savior, that he saved you from darkness out to into marvelous light, that he's given you a new heart, made you new, regenerated, you came and got you when you were dead in your sins and your transgressions, then one of the ways that you know this is because he is supernaturally uh, giving you the power uh, through his spirit to have self-control and to grow. And one of those ways that you should be able to look back down the line and look at is that your speech has changed. And rather than wielding your words as a weapon, you're learning to wield your words as, as, as a mechanism to heal. And this is all about maturity, James 1.4. And let endurance have its full effect so that you may be mature and complete, lacking in nothing. James 1.26, if anyone thinks that he is mature or religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. The second universal truth that James is teaching us here is that our tongue directs where we go. And James wants us to show that the tongue has a a way of being being powerful in a positive sense as well as in a negative sense. And he does this by pointing us to to two large uh, entities. (laughs) Uh, One is is a mammal, it's a horse, and the other is a ship. And essentially he says, listen, Take notice of of horses and how big they are, but yet what controls them is a small bit that's put in their house, in their mouth, not in their house. It's kind of (laughs) weird, right? Think about it here, Kentucky Derby. We see these images on TV, or or perhaps if we're we're down there uh, enjoying the races with friends, we see this big 2,000-pound stallion, 3,000-pound stallion, and then you see this tiny 90, 95-pound jockey, and he is in control of that beast. And how is he in control of that beast? He's in control of that beast by the bit that's in his mouth. And how he pulls that bit is the direction in which that horse goes. And the same way is true with a big ship. The direction of a big ship goes in a way in which the rudder is being controlled. Something small controls such a big thing. And he's saying, even your tongue, your speech, your words, though it is small, it has a huge impact. And it could be used to build up or it could be used to tear down. And some of you know this as you perhaps were raised in an environment where someone used their tongue to tear you down. Or perhaps you're in a living situation right now where it's hard for you to have any esteem in yourself because someone is constantly tearing you down. Or perhaps it's the opposite where you had someone and you say, you know, I know that I wouldn't have grown up to do what I've done and to pursue this path in life if it wasn't for this person speaking life into me or a number of people. Or man, you know, I I struggle with, with, with depression and it is real. But sometimes just hearing the constant encouragement of friends help to direct my path. The small member, small member, your tongue, your speech, it can often control your, de- de- your destination. In fact, pastor once said, if you want to know where you will be in two months, two years, 10 years, or 20 years, all you have to do is stop and take a record of how you talk. Because how you talk is directly uh, connected to your heart. 
Your tongue is the thermometer of your heart and what's going on in your heart can be told by the words that you use and that you speak. And so James is giving an invitation to the church to, to slow down and to think about how they're using their tongue and the impact that it has. In the book of Proverbs, there are 110 sayings about wisdom that is related to speech. And there's often two kind of categories for, for people. Uh, one is, is, is foolish people, wicked people, and the other is, is wise people or people who are, fear the Lord and who pursue the Lord. Let me just give you three Proverbs that kind of show us the power of the tongue. One, Proverbs 15, one through two says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Verse two, the tongue of the wise makes knowledge attractive, but the mouth of fools blurt out foolishness. 15.4, the tongue that heals is a tree of life, but a devious tongue breaks the spirit. What about this one? Proverbs 18, 21, death and life are in the power of the tongue and those who love it will eat its fruit. The tongue is deceptively powerful. Verse five, James goes on to say, so too, though the language is a small part or the tongue is a small part of the body, it boasts great things. Consider how large a forest, a, a small fire ignites. And we hear stories about this on television all the time, how there's a small fire that is igniting normally out west and how uh, much manpower it takes to put it off. And it's normally started by something small, the Chicago fire, which I grew up hearing and learning about in school uh, in, in Chicago, in the south sub suburbs of Chicago. I grew hearing about this great fire that was actually believed to be started by a cow who kicked over a lantern. In a barn, it ignites this big fire and the results were devastating. 300 people lost their lives. 200 million of dollars of property were damaged and 100,000 people became homeless overnight. Fire and words under control can give a tremendous warmth and light. But fire and words spoken out of, of bitterness and rage can be devastating. It can destroy miles and miles of people's life. Verse six, the tongue is a fire. The tongue is a world of unrighteousness. It's placed among the parts of our bodies. It pollutes the whole body. It sets the course of life on fire and is set on fire by hell. Like James is being very direct in a very loving way. And he's doing this not to crush people under condemnation, but to address an issue in the church, praying that the spirit would bring conviction so that people can be reminded that we have been called as Christians to be ambassadors, to be reconcilers, and to be life givers. And the only way we're going to do that is if we are trusting in the giver of life and the one who has reconciled us to himself and to one another. And he wants to remind people of, of the tongue. Look at these images, a world of unrighteousness. Like think about just a, a, a sick, a kind of a, a sadistic world of darkness. He's saying that that can be our tongue. And that's what Paul does in Romans chapter three. He actually says that before Christ, that's everyone's tongue. That's everyone's tongue. Then he shows a picture of it polluting the body, of it being a, a poison, 
Listen to this. It sets the course on fire. It is set on fire by, by hell. Like language can do that, and we know this. We, we know the power of bad language. We know it from a, a world perspective, a global perspective. When we think about some of the, the biggest movements in the history of the world, they were sparked by language. They were sparked by words. Think about Hitler, this, uh, this Nazi movement, and how he dehumanized Jewish people who were created in God's image. And he did it in a, in a charismatic and, and convincing way by tearing one set of people down and building up his own people and the results were devastating. Think about African-Americans and Africans who were, who were brought to uh, what we now call North America and how in order to enslave them, in order to put, put us in, under, under unjust laws, there had to be a reworking of, of, of language where uh, they're no longer seen as, as human beings, but they're three-fifths of a man. And then the Bible was used to justify, the, the, the Bible was not justifying cruel uh, treatment of human beings. Think about today, an abortion. And how millions and millions of, of children who are in the mother's womb are often convinced to be a problem. And the way in which people push that agenda is by simply changing language. It's no longer a baby. It's no longer a child. It is a, it's a fetus. Yes, it has brain waves. It has a DNA. It has 10 fingers. It has, uh, they have 10 fingers. They have language, 10 toes. They are growing. They were known by God before the foundation of the world, but we're able to dehumanize. Language impacts the way in which we treat other, uh, the way in which uh, things are shaped. And James essentially from seven to verse seven to nine is saying this, and he's just acknowledging the reality. He's saying, listen, as human beings, we have learned to tame tigers and lions and bears. Oh my but we in our own strength and our own power, I know this to be true, we cannot tame our own tongue. In our own strength, we may be able to manage it, but we cannot tame it. So James then drops a, a last truth about the tongue when he says this. He reminds us that our tongue's double talk, it can hinder the mission. It can hinder the mission. Verse 10 through 12, just stay with me for a second. I know the spirit is convicting and it's stinging, and it should, but there's also good news. Our, our tongues double talk, and it can hinder the mission. Verse 10, out of the same mouth come blessings and cursings. My brothers, these things should not be this way. Does a, a spring pour out sweet and bitter water from the same opening? Can a fig tree produce olives, my brothers, or a grapevine produce figs? Neither can salt water spring yield fresh water. In essence, like he's saying, can a, a sewage that's in use produce clean water? And everyone listening would have been like, of course not. 
Of course not. It, it cannot produce strength, clean, clean water. And he's reminding them that there is a, a watching world that is watching how we as Christians, how we use our speech. And not only is there a watching world, but our communities are being impacted. People are being impacted by the way in which we talk. And so I just want to highlight two of many ways, many ways that um, I am tempted to and see in the body of Christ a double talk happening. And I want to kind of get behind the root of it in, in just a short, quick way so that we can be mindful of it. And so that we could take these things before the Lord, give it to him and say, create me a clean heart, O Lord, and renew in me the right spirit. And so that we can slow down to think about why we say things, because there's a reason. So one of those things with double talk that, uh, that, that we see, we all are impacted by is, is gossip. In essence, gossip is saying behind someone's back what you hadn't or wouldn't say to their face. And these things may be true, but these are things that just don't have to be said. And y'all know gossip, and when we're about to gossip, we normally like uh, uh, preface it with a nicety. Like, hey, I'm sure you already heard this. Or I wouldn't say this to anyone else, but since it's you. It's like, what do you mean? You're comfortable with dumping garbage in front of my house? Or such and such wouldn't tell you this, but I think it's important for you to know. Or I'm only sharing this because I know that you won't tell anyone. Or my favorite, hey, let's pray for such and such. I heard that they really have a problem with anger. And a lot of times what we're doing when we do those things and we put those niceties around if we're honest, and especially when we want friendships, and that's the culture of friendship, we think that, those, that what we're communicating is actually hot-wiring intimacy. We think that, hey, when we get together and we can freely talk about people like this, this is actually a shows that we're close and we can be trusted. But if really we slow down and think about people who, um, and ourselves, when we habitually do this, we, we know that behind all of this is not, is not true intimacy, but eventually what develops is suspicion of a person's character or integrity. Because as I once had someone tell me, they said, Jamal, um, when I was younger, my father said, Jamal, always remember that how someone talks about, to, about someone else to you is how they will talk about you to someone else. And underneath that heart of us sharing confidential if, information or information that that you wouldn't want shared about you is normally um, either attention-seeking or bitterness, right? Can I just be real today? Yes. Like, I think, I think I'm real every Sunday, but kind of like, like, just lay it out here. <laughs> like, like, it's normally a root of bitterness that's attached to that. And we don't want someone else to celebrate another person either because we want to feel better about ourselves in that person's eyes or because we haven't gotten over something that that person did to us. And so what we have a hard time with is we have a hard time with someone celebrating someone that we don't like. And I just want to tell you, that's just not wise. Wisdom says, wisdom says, make your own friends and make your own quotation mark enemies. Don't ever let someone shape how you think about someone else because of their experience of someone else. 
God has called you to still love them. God has called you to draw close to them. In fact, I think the Lord has called you actually to, to get to know them and to ask questions and to see if that's, if that's true itself. And for the person who's, who's kind of painting uh, 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 this picture of them, for you to pause and to ask them more questions and to invite them into a, a place of gratitude for that person rather than bitterness into a place of seeing how you deserve to be mistreated and, and talked about by God himself, but how God, through the blood of Jesus Christ and his cross, instead of laying out your sin, instead of laying out your wickedness, instead of embarrassing you, he embraced you through the justification of Christ and he sings over you. And he invites you to do the same thing. Proverbs 18 and 17 says, the first person to speak in court always seems right until his opponent begins to question him, <laughs> right? Have you ever been in that situation where you talk to one person and you're just sure that they are right about this thing and then you talk to somebody else, you're like, wait a minute, I'm confused. <laughs> and then you go back to the other person, you ask them more question, oh, I was just angry, I was just mad, or it's just my perspective. Or I know I'm wrong, but I just felt like I needed to vent. <laughs> but here's what James is saying, that's a wildfire. Sometimes like people have had careers ruined People have had friendships destroyed. People have had lives altered because of a lie or because of maybe something that was true, that was spread in the community, that should have been covered with grace and understanding rather than wrath and judgment. But also, there's other things like sarcasm. Right? I looked up to where some people look like, <laughs> which I did too. I mean, let's just think about sarcasm for a second. This is an invitation for us to really just start thinking about the way we communicate. And this one is, I picked this one out for me because this is something that I struggled with habitually years ago and that I have to try really hard not to do now. Okay. I remember moving from Michigan where I went to college at Michigan State to Louisville. And I remember hanging out with friends in Michigan and we would just kind of like always take jabs at each other and sarcasm, look to expose each other's weaknesses and then laugh at the end of it. And I moved down here and I'm in a really good Christian community here. And I remember being sarcastic. And one day someone looked at me and they're like, man, Jamal, I'm just going to be honest. I can't tell when you're serious or when you're not. And it confuses me. And I began to think like, man, that's, that's really not a good quality. And I remember going back to Michigan, hanging out with some of my friends, and everybody's kind of just riding on each other. And I remember thinking, like, man, this culture is really unhealthy, and I contributed to, to a lot of it, and it's still going. And one day, the jokes, like, were impacting me. And I remember pausing and talking to, to a friend and just saying, man, I'm going to be honest. I know we're just joking and we're riding on each other, but, but bro, sometimes, like, when I'm, like, quiet and when I'm just with myself, I think about those jokes, and I start to believe that they're true or wonder if they're true. And I can find myself like living into this identity. And I remember one of my good friends, he, he was like, bro, you are so right. Like sometimes those things really hurt me. And I, I'm intentionally being sarcastic back to sting back. And so I began to look up all these definitions on sarcasm and none of them was positive. So maybe what you're doing isn't sarcasm if it's positive, right? <laughs> but sarcasm by definition is a sharp and often a satirical or ironic utterance that is designed to cut or give pain. It is, it says, a short wit, excuse me, technology, 
This, this thing is being sarcastic. I won't speak against it though. It is a gift from God, from the Lord. In essence, it's the same definition. <laughs> it, it, it basically says it's a it's, it's short wit that is used to harm someone or hurt someone. Uh, this week, I got to see sarcasm in action because of something I did. And I said, uh, my, my family and I was out on an outing. It was raining. There was huge puddles. And kids were just being kids. They see a puddle. And it's like, no matter how bad they try, there's this temptation to get as close to it as possible and just either jump in it or put their foot in it. And so I see my son just really trying not to do this. And he's just looking, and then he kind of wakes his way over, and he's just like, pop, pop, pop. <laughs> and I'm like, son, we're about to get, you know, we're, we're about to get where we're going, but that's a lot of dirt and grit. We just don't want to bring that traction into where we're going. I don't like that traction into the car. And he's just so sweet. He's like, okay, Dad. Minutes later, it's like this huge puddle he's walking up on, and he asked me, he says, Dad, can I just jump in this puddle? And I said, yes, you can. Of course. And he went and jumped in it. And I'm thinking to myself, I got angry. I'm like, I'm like, bro, what's wrong with you? Why would you do that? And he was like, you said I could. I was like, I was being sarcastic. He was like, you were what? And I was like, like sarcasm. I mean, I'm like, never mind, bro. But here's the sad part about it, right? The sad thing is twice, twice. He did this yesterday. Before he did something, he came to me, asked, could he do it? And both times he said, are you tricking me? And he was serious. Like, are you tricking me? And, and that's the hard thing with sarcasm, isn't it? We don't know if that friend is tricking us when they make a kind of a slight jab. And sometimes people, we're sarcastic because we're being passive aggressive. There's something we really want to say to someone and it's a root of bitterness and we don't know how to say it. And I'm just saying, I'm talking about myself. And sometimes we're just, we're just, we don't have that gospel chest we need to speak the truth in love. So we kind of laugh and we make a jab or a cut, hoping that the per- it gets the person's attention. But man, it's a fire. It's a fire. There's other forms of speech. Flattery, saying something to someone's face, what you would never say around their back trying to love someone without speaking the truth to them, overemphasizing maybe qualities that they have in order to gain power or position. Sarcasm, we already went through. Or hypercriticism, which is speaking the truth. You may be speaking the truth, but it's not in love. It's not to build up. It's to tear down. And all this flows from somewhere. All this comes from somewhere. Verse 8 tells us the truth. James says, but no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil. Listen, and it's full of daily poison. No one, none of us can manage our tongue. And if you walk away from this sermon and the the greatest thing that you're feeling is is a need to just stop and to make yourself stop, I'm telling you, it won't be before long that you find yourself in despair or you're constantly uh, 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 kind of encaging uh, yourself uh, because you feel like you can't say anything because it's there. And so God's uh, invitation to us is not to change ourselves. God's invitation for us is to look to our Savior and what he's done for us and how he is the only person. He is the only uh, 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 person who is able to master the tongue because he is the master of all. 
And he mastered the tongue because, and, and to become your master so that as you look to him by faith, you can find forgiveness, you can find reconciliation, you can find no guilt and no shame, but you also can find the power of the Holy Spirit working in your heart as you look to him, as you cry out before him, as you say, create me a clean heart, as you say, Lord, make me poor in spirit, and as you worship him, as you just love him, as you look to his qualities of, of goodness and grace, as you find yourself satisfaction and the more and more you'll see that he is transforming you by his love. Your greatest need is not for you to manage your sin. Your greatest need is for you to look to your master who died upon the cross, who when he was scorned, blessed, who when he went to the slaughter as a sheep, remained silent and who not only didn't say the wrong thing, but in his heart didn't even, didn't even experience the wrong thing because the only thing that was in his heart was love and a plan of redemption for you and I. Look to Jesus. That's what James says in chapter four, verse six. And what we need to look to is his grace, but he gives greater grace. <laughs> James is really making a, a long argument from James chapter three until James chapter four about the tongue and the way uh, these churches are using their speech and why they're using their speech. We'll talk about that a little next, uh, next week, what's behind their heart. And what he uh, ends this long discourse in saying is look to God's grace. God's undeserved, <laughs> unmerited favor. Look to God's delight in you. Now here's the thing. Grace is not given so that we can continue to waddle in sin. Grace is given so that we can see the kindness of Jesus Christ declare war on our sin through him and experience growth as a result of the Holy Spirit teaching us to be self-controlled. So Titus says, it is the grace of God that teaches us to say no to ungodliness. It is the grace of God that allows us to take every thought captive. It is the grace of God that allows us to bless instead of curse, to, to, to love our enemies instead of repay a tally for tally. It is the grace of God. So I want to give you three quick invitations that the scriptures give us as we continue uh, to think through our tongue. And the first is this, the scriptures call us to practice exploring the issues of our heart regularly as words are often the overflow of the heart. Words are often the overflow of the heart. Proverbs 4.25 said, guard your heart with diligence. From it flows the issues of life. Your tongue is the thermometer of your heart. And sometimes we say things, you're like, I don't know why I said it. And there's a reason to why we said what we said. And many times it's because we haven't taken the time to like, like take inventory and say like, why am I saying this? Why do I feel a need to say this about this person? Why do I feel a, a need to boast? Like sometimes when I name drop or I, I try to remind people of stuff, it's because I'm insecure. It's because I want this person to value me or to see me in a certain light. And so I may go a little too far and give a little too much invitation, hoping that they see like, you know, Jamal, you're not half bad. 
And what I need is not that person to affirm me, but to remember that I am eternally affirmed because of Christ's finished work. I am eternally celebrated by Jesus Christ as a result of his sacrifice and by God the Father. And my worth is not from what I do. My worth is found in him. Jesus says, from out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. So if you find yourself today being abusive to people with your language, if you find yourself today habitually tearing down someone with your words, I want to challenge you to take time to evaluate your heart, to ask the Lord to help you to get to the root of it, to talk to another Christian or person who you think can do the hard work of hard work with you and to go on a journey. And perhaps this week, one of the things you can do is maybe think through something that you know is evident with their speech and to challenge yourself, maybe for a day or for a six-hour period, just ask yourself these questions and, and say, oh, Lord, I'm going to do my best to not do these things so I can get to the root of what's going on or, or be sensitive to the way I use my tongue. So try to take a day in, without grumbling or complaining about anything. And every time you're tempted to or you grumble and complain, just take note. Try not to criticize or tear someone down with your words for a day, if you know that that's something that you easily do. Try not to gossip or spread bad information about anyone else if that's something that you habitually struggle with. Try not to be dismissive or defensive in any other way. Like this isn't gonna save you, this isn't gonna make you a better person or more loved, but what this might do for some personalities, this might help you to slow down and be more attentive to what's coming out your mouth. And then out of what you find, you may be able to get to the root of what's happening. Like if you notice a lot of complaining, that could be a sign of pride and a sense of entitlement in your heart. Or if you notice a lot of criticism, gossip, or defensiveness, that could be a sign of insecurity or self-righteousness. Or if you don't speak many words of encouragement, you might want to ask yourself, like, what's going on in your soul? What's going on in your soul? I remember, um, you know, like really struggling with encouraging people that, that like made an impact on my life. And the reason I would struggle with encouraging them is because I feared that it would go to their head and they would become prideful. So even though I really wanted to encourage the quality in them, I was like, like, I'm just not going to encourage them because I don't want them to become prideful. I remember Lord, like one day, um, just allowed in, in my thought process, like me to be convicted and just like, impressed upon my own heart, like, that's not good reasoning. Like, it's not my job to guard their heart. <laughs> it's not my job to keep someone humble. I'm just going to keep them humble. I'm just going to keep criticizing so that they remain humble. That's not my job. It's not my job. It's the Lord's job to bring conviction. It's not my job to flatter someone, but I should regularly take time to pause and look at someone and say, I really appreciate this about you. I really notice this. I see a quality in yourself that I, I don't have and I'm trusting that the Lord will help me to grow in it. Or you may not think that anybody sees, but you being the last person in a community group to leave in order to clean up and to help out, though you have a lot going on yourself, it really makes a difference. Or I know you don't speak much or say anything, but I just want you to know when you do talk, it's often really impactful. Or there's an anointing in your smile. I don't know you, we don't talk, but, but there's been times where you've just smiled and said hello to me. And don't make it weird. If you're like, this is, yo, this ain't a pickup line. 
All right, don't be walking up to people and be like, like, oh, I just love to see you cry. Ah, oh, I just wish I could be a, a tear in your eye, born in your eye, live on your cheek and down your lips. No. No, no, no. <laughs> you will get a call from a pastor. <laughs> that is inappropriate. <laughs> like, no, I mean genuinely encouraging someone. In fact, just don't compliment anyone's smile. Like, just stay away from the smiles. Just be like, I'm, I love to see you happy. It blesses me. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, my. We want to we wanna, we wanna be careful with the words we say and encourage people, right? Uh, and, and, and see what's in our heart. A second, we want to practice understanding other people's perspective by listening well and being slow to speak. That's what James tells us in James chapter 1, verse 19. Be slow to speak, quick to listen. That's <laughs> pretty clear. Pretty clear. Uh, Proverbs 10, 19 says, when there are many words, sin is unavoidable, but the one who controls his lips is prudent. And we know that we only can do this by the grace of God. You know, one reason that I don't like social media is because I feel like through social media, we can feel emboldened as well as be deceived on why we're interacting in a long interaction with someone who we disagree on social media. And really, if, you, if we're honest about it, when we're interacting with someone, many times the goal is not to love a person into understanding what they're saying, but it's to save face and to put forth our best argument to shut someone down. And that's just not Christ-like. And many times things just grow and it just explodes in that, in that way because we're not taking the time to actually listen to what someone's saying. And maybe perhaps we're going tick for tack with someone is to listen to the truths that they're saying. And even though you may disagree with them, it's to affirm that they are in the image of God, that they are at a different place in their life because of their story, and to run what is being said not only by them, but by you through the scripture, and to pray that the Lord will help us to see more clearly and to rejoice that one day he will because we all see dimly through a mirror now. So we don't just want to tame our tongue, we want to tame our tweets. Hello, lights. Finally, we want to practice encouragement and edification. I hit on this already, but Job said that life is full of short and full of trouble. And this is, a tr this is a principle for all of us. I don't care what socioeconomic status you are. I don't care what things you value. I don't care. It is full of trouble. And it's hard. Life is hard. Like life has a way of sometimes just sucking the energy out of you. And everything can be going right. And emotionally, you can just be on a roller coaster. It's hard. And I'm convinced that what people need, what you need and what I need is not hypercriticism. We need people to speak the truth and love to us so that we can grow and become self-aware. But what we need is encouragement and grace. That's why throughout the, the scriptures, there's over 100 uh, New Testament uh, verses that tell us to one another, to love one another, to encourage one another. That's what we read in Hebrews chapter 3, 13. But encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. 
And I'm, in, I'm, I'm convinced that many times people do the spiritual moonwalk in the church and begin to go backwards rather than progressively uh, pursue Jesus and forward. It's because they're kind of locked in their mind and they're believing a script about themselves. They're believing something that is not true about God. And, and they begin again in their own mind and then they isolate themselves and they begin to believe Satan's lies, that there's no power in the gospel, that no one loves them, that they're the only one that's struggling with this sin. And what they need is a brother and sister in Christ to come alongside them and to be a spiritual forklifter, to speak truths. We all need people in our lives to daily, 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 daily remind ourselves of Christ's sufficiency and our identity in him. And for some people, that's so hard to believe because we're like, yo, it's hard for me to believe that God loves me and and I'm, I'm not gifted. It's hard for me to believe that God loves me and my life hadn't turned out this way. And we need to remind them often that God's love is fixed on you. And not only, he's not like tolerating you, he delights in you. Because that person has a megaphone in their mind and their megaphone is telling them that they're not good enough. And that's really a form of pride. And we need the gospel to help break them through and to say, in Christ. In Christ, you are beloved. Proverbs 12, 25 says, anxiety in a person's heart weighs it down, but a good word cheers it up. This week, I just want to encourage you to be, to take time and think about someone who you can encourage, maybe who you take for granted, who you've wanted to encourage, but you just haven't. And just give them a simple encouragement. To take time for a person that you struggle with, that you find yourself air fighting with, and I explained air fight before, right? So when you like slap boxing with a person, they're not even there, no one's in the room, and you're like, ooh, next time they say, I'm gonna say. <laughs> or oh, I wish they would, oh, I just wish they would say that to me. <laughs> Taking off earrings and getting your arguments together. It's like that person probably isn't thinking about you. <laughs> Unforgiveness and bitterness is like drinking poison while expecting another person to die. In Christ, we can let that person go in our heart, though it will be strong, though we may have to work through some stuff and and get some care and some counseling. And though it may be something that's constantly coming back with us as, as we want to imprison them in our heart, but we can learn to let that person go just as Christ uh, released us and to forgive that person or to bear uh, that person's foolishness by taking our heart to the Lord and saying, creating me a clean heart. And help me to remember that you turn all things and work all things for my good and your glory. And even though I may not understand this scar, I know that you don't waste my pain. And every Sunday we're able to gather together to remember this (laughs) by remembering Christ and the scars that he endured for us. And that when he defeated death, when he came back as a resurrected man who was fully God, that he did not take away his scars, but he allowed them to remain, knowing that God was using those scars, using that pain for his own glory. And every Sunday when we gather, we remind ourselves of of Christ and how good he is to us, what he's done for us, 
to be reminded of his good news and his gospel by taking communion. If you're not a Christian, we're going to actually not to partake in this communion. If you are a Christian, when you partake in communion, just pause. And the thing that say nothing that you're thinking about right now that, that's like convicting you to the point of you not feeling good about yourself, take that to Christ and talk to the devil. Speak. Okay, I'm getting charismatic. Remind yourself. I'm going Luther on him. Remind yourself that there is no condemnation in Christ. Remind yourself that what you say about yourself is not true if it is condemning you. That there is no condemnation. That what is true is that you are forgiven, that you are his masterpiece, that you are the apple of his eye, that you are being empowered by his spirit to say no to ungodliness. Here, soldier, we take a piece, break the bread. We take a piece of bread and we dip it in wine or juice. The wine is marked by twine, whatever your conscience permits. Um, and we do this to remind ourselves of Christ's love for us, like God loves you. Some of you, it's really hard to believe. And you want to believe that sometimes I want to believe. I like he loves you, 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 he loves you. And this is a reminder of that truth. 